Welcome to Becoming Church, the podcast where we discuss how the message and movement of Jesus is not just about becoming Christians, but about becoming the church. I'm your host, Kristen Mockler Young, and I'm here today with the other guy in the podcast photo, <laughs> Naeem Fazel. Yes, the other guy. The other guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm so pumped about this. Uh, I'm going to be saying pumped a lot. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Your guest is no other than Marty Solomon, right? Yes, and I know you are very excited to join. I'm glad you were here. You you gave a lot to the conversation. Listen, you're gonna throw Marty a curveball question in this conversation that mm-hmm. I think caught both of us off guard, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, can't wait uh, for our guests uh, to, to be on the podcast and I can't wait for you guys to listen to this. Yes, Marty Solomon, if you don't know, is a teacher, a podcaster, he's a content creator, He's written a book called Asking Better Questions of the Bible because he's going to help us be better readers of the Bible and actually explain if it was even God's idea to begin with. So make sure you come back at the end of the episode for a fun little announcement. But here's our conversation with Marty Solomon. Marty Solomon, well, welcome to Becoming Church. We are absolutely thrilled to have you here. Thanks. It's good to be here. I love doing these fun conversations with new friends. Yes, new friends. I got to be honest, I'm pumped. Yeah. (laughs) I am pumped. (laughs) Well, now I'm getting pumped. Boom. I'm telling you, I am. I am. I mean, like, it's been a minute since I've been on this podcast. That's true. And then when I when I heard that Marty Solomon said yes to becoming church, I was like, uh, (laughs) can I come on again? That's exactly how it happened. Seriously, Marty, if you go back and listen to other podcasts, I'm not in any of them. (laughs) I was like. And he, she was like, oh, so you want to come on for Marty Solomon? Uh-huh. And I was like, uh, I, yeah, oh, I love that. That's oh. good. Good enough. But yes, I did meet uh, my wife, actually. Oh, man, she would love to be in this room right now because she discovered. She asked. We were like, this, that's too much. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was like, oh. she discovered uh, your podcast, then put me, put me on it. And uh, a couple of years ago, and then I just went crazy on it. I mean, I was listening to you almost every night, <laughs> um, just going through it, then recommended to a church. Uh, your, you know, um, your stuff is in my sermons. Uh, I think I've given you credit for it. I'm pretty <laughs> sure you do. I'm pretty sure. I have. And, um, but yes. And then, um, yeah, recently, um, realized that you were going to be in CLT uh, and it was a last minute decision. My wife and I got in the car and came to your event. Cool. And we're like, uh, um, yeah, so pumped. Yeah. yeah. Pumped, man. yeah. That's the word. I love it. I love it. Well, Marty, before we get into, we're going to talk about the podcast. We're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about all of these things, but first I want people to get to know you a little bit. I think we forget that brilliant people are just like us, yeah. you know, celebrities are like oh. us too. And so I'm neither of those two, but I am just like everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, talk to us a little bit about, I believe that you grew up in faith, but in the evangelical church. Yes. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So what got you interested in the Jewish perspective? Yeah. So I have Jewish heritage and my family was aware of that. That was not some hidden thing or a surprise okay. thing, but I was raised in what I would call evangelical fundamentalism. And um, and there's plenty of stuff that I that I pull apart and critique about that, but I'm also very indebted to mm-hmm. that. So I don't say that with like yeah. some 
hard edge. Uh, but because of that typical evangelical theology, there was an understanding of, well, Jesus came, so why would it matter if he were Jewish? And and that makes sense. And that hasn't actually changed until more recently, um, as far as people's understanding of that. So that didn't necessarily strike me as odd, but I okay. grew up with that, with that upbringing. I went to Bible college. Um, I was... Uh, you know, I, I'll give you the short version of the story. I was pastoring a church while I was going to school, a young kid, eight, 19 years mm-hmm. old at the time. Um, wow. And uh, part of my what I did was I, I helped run the youth group, and there was a kid in our youth group um, who was an atheist. And he, he was, but he was perfect attendance, man. That kid never missed. And I love this kid. He loved the community. He loved the relationships. He loved the intellectual engagement, Um, not a person of faith. And so I would get together with him every Thursday morning. He was my project. I was going to get this kid saved. And we would go out and we would argue every Thursday morning about Genesis. And I would argue creationism and he would argue Darwinism. And we would just have this. And he came from a broken family, lived with his mom, but would hang out with his dad every Tuesday and Thursday morning for breakfast. And I would pick him up from his dad's house. And mm-hmm. it was one day he, he, he went to hang out with his dad and his dad had taken his own life and he uh-huh. found him. He was the one to find him. Uh-huh. I showed up 20 minutes after the cops left. He jumped in the car. He didn't say anything to me. We went out and argued about the tower of Babel and I found out about his father two days later. Um, oh my goodness. And uh, amidst a lot of things we could talk about, one of the things that bothered me and relative to your question, I would not say it was the most important thing, but relative to your question, one of the things that bothered me was my theology at that point in my life worked. It explained that perfectly. Mm-hmm. God's the potter, we're the clay, everything's mm-hmm. done for his glory, and yeah. um, we're just pots. So we don't yeah. get to know, and that's the way it is. And I was like, man, it was the first time I've had to come to grips with the concrete reality of my theology. And for the first time, I didn't want answers. I said, if that's who God is, if this can be answered that easily, this Mm. is not the gig for me. And I was kind of in this weird spiral for about two or three months. Uh, I don't think my, I I was freshly married. I don't think my wife necessarily knew a whole lot. Uh, I don't think I understood. So I wasn't talking about it because I don't think I could articulate what I was wrestling with. Um, but somebody handed me some other teachers and what they were doing. Well, first of all, I would listen to it and I would just be like, Oh, this is what my soul, my heart is trying to say. Um, and they all had this consistency to them. And I, I found out that what they were doing is they were using a more historical contextual hermeneutic. They were looking at the Bible, not through a theological lens and hermeneutic primarily, but through the lens of the time in which the Bible was written, the world out that it was coming out of. And it was just answering all these questions and reframing so much of the theology. And and so that's where I dove in and and everything. In a lot of ways, it, it saved my faith by just giving me a whole new set of questions. And and that's really, and then in that, I ended up kind of rediscovering my own Jewish identity and my own Jewish heritage relative to these new things I'm learning about theology and the New Testament and everything else. So, yeah. Yeah. How far back you, you mentioned you had some Jewish heritage. Was it like your parents grew up with in Jewish tradition or is it like generation? Like how far back did you have to go? Yeah. So we knew, so it's kind of a, it's an interesting story. My father, my father comes from a very, very, very strict LDS family. Um, And because of that, we have our family records and they take us back to, 
directly to about the, I was just in Cornwall this summer. And part of why, why I was there was to do a bunch of family history. And I got okay. back to the late 1400s directly. Um, we got other stuff that takes us back to about nine, mid, mid 10th century. Um, and, and then knowing that, that name Solomon is always, it always has Jewish origins coming out of Western Europe. We don't know of it not having Jewish origins right. at some point. So, yeah, that was where I was kind of aware of those things. And, and then I just learned a lot this summer, which I won't bore anybody to death with the details that invigorate <laughs> me. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of where that is. Okay, that's very cool. Well, and you mentioned a couple of different teachers. I know there's one in particular that you uh, reference a trip with. Is it Ray Vanderland? Yep. Yep. Ray Vanderland was one of uh, just the people that I, I was a part of a church that used his material because they were very close to him. And okay. I didn't appreciate that as a high schooler because you don't care when you're in high school what the Sunday school <laughs> Sorry, curriculum right. is. Um, but later I did. And I realized, oh, man, what a, what a, what a providentially for me, the way God used yeah. it to change my life. So yeah, I was able to get connected with Ray and went over to Israel, went back over to Turkey. Uh, and he was the one that gave me a bibli bibliography. He was the one that pointed me in a direction, um, said, study these things. I didn't spend like all this time with him. I, I had a couple trips and some really key conversations okay. in between that really helped shape and guide my, my own journey. So, yeah. Yeah. I actually was reading uh, something that he had written out or or an article or something like that. And I, th I wonder if it was because of your podcast. It could have been. If you referenced him, and I went into deep dive to find out because it was a, a particular topic that I wanted to talk about, and it gave me insight on it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. He, he's, yeah. Uh, I'm indebted. So much of my journey is. He was not the first door I walked through, but he was the door that gave me the substance. Like I was able to mm. quote the sources and cite things and right. I could not just parrot somebody and mimic and imitate somebody else's words and theologies, but could actually go learn it. And I'm, yeah. I'm indebted to Ray for that. Mm. Oh, that's so awesome. Do you have one of those? I feel like, especially when somebody, at least for, for me, I think for Naeem and Ashley too, when we very first started listening to the Bama podcast, we would talk about having these moments of like, we have to pause it because literally our minds would be blown just learning this new information that, that you have to like sit in and take in, right? Do you remember having one of those moments where you kind of had your mind blown with information and it kind of opened your eyes to like a whole new thing? Uh, so many, so many. Um, okay, share one of them with us. Hmm. Well, I can remember the one that always, the one I was most conscious of, because I think, I think it happens all the time. And my brain and my narcissistic tendencies are always like, oh, oh I understand this. And I'm like processing it like <laughs> so fast, trying to like, well, this isn't shocking. This isn't when it actually really is. The one that I can remember was I was so consciously aware of was standing in uh, Sardis with Ray in Turkey. Okay. And he's trying to, and this is like day four of our trip. And he has been talking for some time about how what Revelation is doing is it's using, it's quoting scripture and it's using all of these, what we kind of talk about with Pardes and Ramez and all. it's, it's hyperlinking back to Old Testament texts to make a point, but it's simultaneously grabbing cultural details, not, hmm. not simultaneously, like the same paragraph yeah. is brilliant culturally but all the material isn't just coming from culture. It's also coming from the text. And the text is saying the same thing that it's saying culturally. And I had been hearing that like, yeah, 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 I get it. It's doing both things. It's doing both things. 
But it dawned on me four days in what Ray was saying, that this is simultaneously taking place when John writes Revelation. And I Mm. just went, oh, like I audibly (laughs) said something. And he turned around and looked at me and was like, yes. And I, I (laughs) I just got it. It just clicked what you're getting at. He he's saying something that's artistically brilliant to the to the church in Sardis, but he's mm-hmm. he's going to the Hebrew scriptures to pull the material, and when you put the material absent of the culture, the material is preaching a brilliant Jewish sermon, totally absent of culture, and it's preaching the same message that he's trying to preach to the culture, and I just. Wow. Whoa. And that's where uh, that's the one that I can remember just vividly going. All right, hold on. I got to I'm going to have to take a long walk back to the bus to process (laughs) what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah. Unpack and peel back all those different layers. Yeah. Listen, Marty, I promise you there are people right now that are pausing this podcast and they're like, what did he just say? I'm going to rewind. Guys, just rewind back like 30 yeah. seconds. Listen again. Well, we'll also link up. I'm sure that you've talked about Revelation on Bema, so we can link up some of those episodes. Yeah. Don't jump well. ahead. You'll need a whole lot of tools to get there. But if you go on the journey <laughs> and you eventually get to episode like 140 is whatever Revelation starts. And it's it's quite the journey. So, yeah, absolutely. That is yeah. always something that we tell our people we're like okay we need to know a little bit where you're coming from because as brilliant as the podcast is like it's not for everybody not everybody is ready for that yet so yeah yeah yeah. totally i mean just trying to explain chiasms to people yes and they're like what i'm like no he's actually legit this guy's legit this is (laughs) this is real yeah yeah and uh yeah just yep it's 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 tricky it isn't for everybody so it's really hard it's really an art form to try to take take what you can use what's appropriate especially when you're a preacher and a yeah. sermon yeah. and it's it's very tricky and a, and, a, and a real art to do that well well y'all do it so well and i think for people who are ready to start thinking at a different level you are able to explain it in a way that people can understand i do have to tell you though marty sometimes when i listen to bema i get nervous and i want to tell you why because I actually get nervous for Brent. <laughs> I feel like you're always putting him on the spot. Like you'll be saying this big complex thing and you just throw it at him. You're like, what's the word for that, Brent? Yeah. And what does the number seven represent, Brent? And what do we call that, Brent? And I hold my breath for him all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, I hope he knows the answer. <laughs> he is. He I, is. I tell you what, though, he's gotten better. Like, absolutely. He's, I, can, I can see he's getting more confident. Absolutely. You know? And you're gracious. You. And you're like, yeah, 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 but. Yes. Not, 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 that's not the answer. <laughs> yeah. Se- season six, seven, eight, Brent is so much more like he is yeah. so much more an equal. He's coming back. He's bringing stuff to the table that I don't even know about those early sessions. Brent's like the representative scapegoat for all the listeners <laughs> and they love it. They're yeah. like, I can relate to Brent. I'm so happy when he doesn't know. Cause oh, okay. I don't know. And, and it's, it's wonderful. He's, he's yeah. will, he's willfully and joyfully played that role. Oh, I love it. What is, what is your relationship with Brent? And how, like, how do you guys prep for these episodes? My relationship with Brent is great. I love working with him. Uh, I mean, obviously I would, I would call Brent a friend as well. Like the best working Mm -hmm. relationships are kind of hard to pull apart that way. Um, we now live in radically different places, so I don't get to hang out with him in as many contexts as I used to. I live in Cincinnati. He's still on the Palouse. 
um, doing his thing. So, but, but we now work together full time all the time and I, I'll, I'll see him on at least a few calls every week. And most of those are recording situations. So, yeah, you know, my prep, um, Brent's going to have a whole different set of prep. And then Brent has all this production stuff he does on the back end, which is why I'm so grateful that he's there. Cause he does all the techie <laughs> stuff. I, I do probably more on the front end of the episode and, Depending on where we were at, when we were in the main body of work, I didn't necessarily have to prep because the podcast was like the fifth or sixth time through the body of work. And so there were oh, some wow. episodes oh. that I would be, okay, I want to really, I really want to get into this thing and do something special. Okay. But a lot of times I was just pulling it right out of the curriculum and I won't even, I don't even want to say I had a formal curriculum, but it was just the body of work. Then when you get past that and we start doing new stuff, you'll feel me in season six, be like, man, this requires a lot more effort and work out of me. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta spend a whole extra day prepping for whatever the content. And that wasn't the case for the first five seasons. Um, but even then, e even when I'm having to prep, I make a habit uh, and have since 2008 so a very long time. I will. I study every day. I just study about the Bible every day, and I try to like make the things I'm doing on the podcast parallel the things I'm studying for practicality's sake and efficiency. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But just doing that every day means I'm always learning. I always have fresh things. I always have new sources. I always have, and so, and so that's the biggest prep. And it's not even directly podcast prep. It's just my learning curve right. that then expresses itself and finds its expression in the podcast. So yeah, not, not, a, not as much as you may think, but I, I do now have to sit down and pull out the Google doc that Brent and I use and map out the conversation <laughs> yeah. and put the references in there and give him the links. And we didn't used to do that for a long, long time, but it's a part of the process now. And listen, mm. if you ever stumble, then you just throw it to Brent. And have <laughs> <to explain it. laughs> we have learned to edit. We didn't have to edit a whole lot in the beginning. You know, we really didn't. Like he, he'd edit everything. But we nowadays we edit a lot. We'll just stop and be like, all right, hold on. I got to hold on. Hold on. And we'll, okay. we'll edit I've noticed, I've noticed you've actually said, uh, I think we might edit this out. And it's obviously not been edited yep. out. <laughs> yep. That's right. Yep. Well. Well, I want to ask you something. So as I started uh, diving into the podcast, uh, what was interesting for me is, is that, you know, uh, coming from a different background, um, also learning that, um, that, that the scriptures, the way they were interpreted uh, in the churches, I kind of learned to become a pastor in. I mean, I, I came to faith when I was 19. So that was my first time that I d dived into the Bible but then b being an outsider, I noticed that there was a there was just this discrepancy in, in terms of 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 a of certain theologies that people were really passionate about their version of theology that didn't really translate into people's lives. And so it was just one of those like you just have to believe that you just got to believe it and it'll work itself out. And, you know, and all every different denominational de theology had its limitations you yes. know and but they all stem from this i guess this western this um uh, uh writers you know and i just thought man the, there, there's no one there's no other voices like everybody's quoting these guys i mean just to say like old white guys i mean just to be blunt here yep, yep. you know and and 
what about what about everybody else? Like, you know, what are their thoughts on this on this? So as I started um, listening to the podcast, what I really appreciated was that um, I, you know, I didn't I didn't even know what you looked like. Uh, sure. Which is really yeah. helpful. Yeah, sure. Honestly, I didn't even know what you looked like. Yeah. So I was like, what does this guy look like? And the first time I saw you, I was like, oh, because he didn't you didn't come across like those guys. You yeah. came across as a Middle Easterner, yeah. which was strange sure. to me. Yeah. Um, and um, but you f- I felt like you were really talking to and trying to reclaim um like we talk about a mosaic, reclaim the message of movement of Jesus. Like that's our church yeah. mantra, yep. whatever. Yep. And I felt like you were doing that because you, I felt you were talking to pastors and leaders and saying, Hey, and a phrase you would continually say is trust the story. Yeah. And I was like, when I first heard it, I was like, Oh wow. Okay. But then you were extremely gracious. Like, Hey, I know you believe this and I know your grandma believes this and this, you know, if you told her she would, you know, cast you out or whatever, but here's a different way. You were extremely gracious, and but you would use trust the story a whole lot. Yeah. Can you explain why? Why that phrase? Yes. I know it's a lot, but yeah. No. I, well, you boiled it down to a really succinct question, and I like that. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, good work as an interviewer. Um, no, I, for me. I, th- I have a fun, well, and it's learned. It's a, I, I learned this in my own personal experience and journey. I have a fundamental belief that the, the, the root of the human condition, we always love to talk about sinful nature. I think sinful nature is the byproduct. I think the root mm. of the human condition is fear and insecurity. Yeah. Like, I think the reason huh. that we sin is we're scared or we're insecure. And that's, that's Cain and Abel. Cain, Cain thought that he, mm. was, uh, not, he, he was not secure in his attachment to God. And that insecurity caused him to hurt other people. This, the sin is what we do because of, and so the antidote to that is this invitation to like, hey, creation is good and I love you, God's saying. Like, just mm-hmm. just trust that my love is big enough to overcome whatever you think is going to get in the way, which is ultimately mm-hmm. the gospel. But that's been there since yeah. Genesis chapter one. So when yeah. we say trust the story, we're really going back to Genesis one, because that's, that, that's the story that God chooses to start with. Not just get, because it's the creation of the world. But it's, it's the creation of a good world that God loves and says at the end, just rest, just stop, just Sabbath, and remember that I love my good creation. First and mm-hmm. foremost, there will be plenty of things that are broken later in the story. Got it. But, but believe that the number one most important thing is that God loves his creation and that it's, it's, it's good in his eyes, good enough for him to love it. And mm-hmm. so when you're trusting that, because, because that's the antidote to all the stupid things that I'm going to try to do. It's the antidote to all the bad theology. And it's the antidote to all the bad Christian posturing that believes that I got to somehow protect this. And I got to, I got to like all the right. self-preservation that we do, all of the, why is it that God always connects gen- like Jesus, excuse me, let me say, let me say it more clearly. Jesus always connects his teachings on generosity almost always, to worry. Anytime Jesus talks about worry, I can promise you what he just got done talking about or usually the next thing he's going to talk about is generosity. Really? Because the thing that we're going to, the thing that's going to stunt our generosity, the thing that's going to keep us from being hospitable is the worry that I'm not going to have enough, the worry that I'm not enough, the worry that I have enemies. Like Mm -hmm. everything about theology comes down to you are loved. What could you have to lose? 
you already have the love of God. Like this is very Paul, like what could separate us from the love of God? Nothing could, nothing could. And so trust Mm -hmm. the story keeps tapping into that, what I would call gospel truth. A gospel truth that's always been true because God's never changed. This isn't plan B. The gospel is not plan B. The gospel has mm-hmm. always been plan A. That's what Abraham gets, which is why your New Testament will call back to Abraham. That's why Romans yeah, is mm-hmm. going to be like, here's the gospel. You want to know who I want to talk about for the gospel? Abraham, Romans 4. Like, wait a minute. I thought the gospel was all about like just Jesus and this new thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And Paul's like, no, Abraham understood these truths. He had faith in the, in the love of God. And he screwed it up a lot too, by the way. But he had faith, and that's why he found himself justified, because he knew that he had screwed up, but the love of God was bigger than that, which is the very next chapter of Romans. Like, this is this is the thing. Trust the story. And and it's a poetic way. A lot of people write me emails and be like, well, you really should be trusting God, not the story. Yeah, but trust <laughs> God doesn't mean anything. Like, tell me what that yeah, means. Trust the story sounds better, too. Right. It, it's just such a theological cliche. It's accurate. I just don't know what it means to trust God unless I somewhat I have to remove it right. half a step so that right. I know what it means to trust God. Trust what? Trust in the love and grace of God. Yeah. Which is baked yeah. into the first page of the Bible. So yeah. it's where the it's where the story starts and it's where the story ends. And now you've got me all ramped up, so I'm gonna be quiet and sip my coffee while you <laughs> ask me the next question. Well you, No, I love it. Let's go. Can, can I say this? Like so me being introduced to uh, to Christianity, the phrase that I heard a lot was this idea of original sin. Yes. And so so the 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 first theology I uh, that, that I experienced was this: you are terrible, mm-hmm. you're bad. Yep. There's something wrong with you. Yep. And that's why Jesus had died. Yep. And I was like, wow. So when I came, met Jesus, uh, I tell I would tell people I wasn't really looking for forgiveness. By the way. Yeah. Like I thought I was fine. Yeah. Uh, when I met Jesus, it was very supernatural. I was not looking for anything, and it just kind of was like, it was like the Paul uh, on the road to Damascus yeah. kind of experience. Yeah. Uh, but when I found Jesus, I found purpose. Yep. So sure. Yeah. I didn't feel. Uh, oh my gosh! I'm reveal- I'm, I'm 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 good now. Yep. So when you when you talk about trusting the story, I love that because it moves us past the conversation of okay, this idea of original sin. But then then you have this other phrase called uh, intrinsic value. So you know, at least in Mosaic, we talk about this. Hey, you're good. Yeah. When he saw first made you, he said, "Oh, this is very good." Yeah. So you start with that, yep, right? Yep. So is that that's what you're saying, right? That's connected to the story of, hey, God made you good, yeah. and then it all went south. But yeah, yeah, it, you were made in beauty, and yeah, but you were made for love with love. Yeah, yeah, I, right? yeah. I start with that because God—that's where God starts. God starts with that, right? Like, there's a reason why the stories are. And I heard one teacher phrase it, phrase it that way. We always start the Bible too late. We start it in Genesis chapter three. We start with mm. the fall and your sinfulness. And when I when I do that, it changes the story. He said when yeah. th- this this teacher said, when you start in Genesis three, it becomes about disembodied evacuation. But when you start in Genesis mm. one, it's about physical participation. Mm. So when you start in Genesis yeah. three, it's about some glad morning, I'll get out of here. But, right, 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 but Genesis right. one is no, you're a part of this thing. When you start in Genesis three, it's about the removal of sin. But if you start in Genesis one, it's about the restoration of goodness. Mm. When you start in Genesis 3, it's about what you're not. But when you start in Genesis 1, it's about what you are. 
Yeah. And, oh, that's so amen. Good. That. And so oh, that amen. that is really in what, a moment you get a goosebumps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That and that is that's the trust the story. Trust the story so that we get the story right. Because when you don't, yeah, 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 you have I to put sin, which is problem. super important. Yeah. But sin has to fall in its proper context. It enters the sure. story late, and it will be leaving the story early. Goodness is eternal. Sin is the intruder. But we make mm. the whole story about sin, and it shifts the story dramatically in our theology. Right. So, yes. That was, yeah. for me, growing up, uh, I mean, I've been Christian my entire life. Like, I don't have a salvation moment. I don't have a spiritual birthday. I just have always been a Christian. I've always been a believer. I've always been part of the church. But that was one of the biggest shifts for me. And Marty, I'm wondering now, listening to you talk, if maybe this is a lot more common then I realized at least people growing up, you know, evangelical eighties, nineties, whatever is this idea that we believed for so long that we were bad first and that God was a punisher. That's what I thought. I mean, I was a, I was a goody two shoes. Like I wasn't perfect, but I was, <laughs> I was yeah. close. I was a really good kid, yeah. but I was obsessed with the idea that if, if I got in a car accident or something happened to me and I had not yeah. asked God for forgiveness for, you know, rolling my eyes at my mom, I was going to hell. Yeah. Like it was just that innate idea that we are bad and God is wanting to punish us. Um, do you think that's something that really a lot of people kind of relate to and need to unlearn right now? Uh, I mean, I, I don't want to overstate it, but I think it's, it is the it is the thing behind yeah. all yeah. of it. And, and I think we ought to be careful about how we attack it and come at it. But I mean, I just, I stepped into this interview in the middle of recording a, a YouTube series on the, on, on the questions you've just spent time asking oh, uh, wow. issues of soteriology, because it is, and, and the video I just did, just got done with was why does this matter? It matters because it sits behind everything else that we do behind mm -hmm. everything else is this, Okay, but what happens when I die? Okay, but but am I, you know, I got an email the other day from somebody who's 53 years old, has been following Jesus for decades, and the word they used twice was terrified. Mm. After, after, you know, 30, 40 years of following Jesus, terrified yeah. should not be the fruit of the gospel. Oh, yeah. But it is the fruit of our theology, because if you get this wrong— you mm -hmm. go, you are inherently bad and you go to burn forever. Like I can remember, and that comes from Augustine and I don't want to misrepresent. I misrepresent Augustine all the time. So let me not misrepresent Augustine, <laughs> but this Augustinian yes. theology of depravity is not a Jewish concept. It like, if you were to ask a Jew about the fall, they would be like, what are you talking about? The what? Cause they don't right. even understand the fall for the, mm -hmm. for, a, for a Jew, the story of Adam and Eve is not what happened. It's about what happens. Mm -hmm. It's not about mm -hmm. what happened and how sin entered the world. It's about why we all sin in the first place. And yeah. those are key, key shifts because we just start to assume all this stuff and it leads to all this logical reasoning of who I am and wh who God is and what our relationship is and what we're doing in the world yeah. radically. Like these are huge radical theological shifts. Um, doesn't change the faith. It just changes how we frame the faith and right. therefore how we participate in the faith. Oh, I was thinking how we understand the Correct. faith, but no, how sure. we participate yeah, in the both. faith takes it yeah. even one step further. Yep. Wow. Yep. Mm -hmm. 
So you touched on it and, and you have a chapter in the book too. I've got your book right here, Asking Better Questions of the Bible. And the whole idea of like an Eastern and Western perspective, right? We've got different views. We've got different understandings. We've got different perspectives. Marty, you grew up, you know, evangelical in America. Naeem, you grew up Muslim. You've taught me how to say that word. Muslim in the Middle East. So I guess that's a question to both of you. But like, I guess how big of a deal is it? I know it's a big deal. How big of a deal is it to have these two different perspectives when we're reading the Bible? Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say everything we just discussed in the last 10, 15, 20 minutes is fruit of how important this is, because okay. we get all of those weird conclusions or different theological assumptions mm -hmm. from the questions that we're asking, mm -hmm. which is really just behind it all. Like what we're talking about is hermeneutics, which is a big word, just a big seminary word that means the way we interpret the Bible. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Because for us, the Bible is everything as it should be. I have no, mm -hmm. it's one of the things I greatly appreciate about my fundamentalist upbringing. They, t they gave me Jesus in the Bible above everything else. Mm -hmm. Jesus in the Bible, Jesus in the Bible, like two of the most important pillars I don't want to ever forsake. Yeah. Um, but that Bible needs to be read. Reading that Bible accurately is so important because of the importance it has for us as evangelicals and Christians. And so making sure for me, I believe the Bible is inspired. But I believe the inspired conversation is the one that took place between the author and the audience. So Paul's conversation mm -hmm. between himself and the Philippian church, that's the inspired one. Now, thankfully, the Holy Spirit moves well outside of the things we're ignorant of and all those things. <laughs> yes. I'll take a spirit-led hermeneutic as well. I'll put that squarely in the second writing shotgun. But when I'm, when I'm consciously engaging in the work of biblical hermeneutics, I want to be saying, what did the author understand mean when they said this? And what did the audience hear when they heard it? Yeah. Um, and that's just a basic question about hermeneutics, which then causes to ask the next set of questions and the next set of questions and the next set of questions. If we already have decided what the theology is, if we already, then we superimpose that over the biblical reading. And that becomes our hermeneutic. That becomes the filter. And now we're just reading the Bible to essentially proof text, prop up affirm a belief system that we already Support decided what we know. exactly right. and every time i go to the scripture i every time no matter how much i know no matter how much i study every time i should be turning the pages of that scripture going god wants to change me provoke me transform me what is the conversation happening in the scripture i'm not using the bible to prop up so yeah. the, i'm God's using the Bible. I'm not using the Bible. Yeah. God's using the Bible to change and transform me. It is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Like that's how the Holy Spirit, one of the ways the Holy Spirit is going to work in my life. Yeah. Hmm. Name anything to add on the, I don't know, the man. Eastern Western perspective? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, okay, so I, I, I throw a, sort of a curveball here. Okay. Okay, and a question. Um, was, is the Bible, God's idea? Oh, well. Or is it something that he's just using? Wow, that's a great <laughs> did question. I just stump, did I just stump uh, Marty Solomon here? Let's just have a moment here. <laughs> I, I would be okay if the answer were either. Oh, I love that. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't even have an opinion. Um, yeah. That's a great question. It, on one hand, I love the beauty of, I mean, I think of Peter Enns has a quote that I use in my book. Um, like the Bible is what it is because God lets his children tell the story. 
Yeah. So I think your question is really like, did dad tell the children like, I need you like, hey, we're going right. to, you will be telling a story um, here. Let's get it started. I go first. Or did the kids start telling the story and God was like, ooh, I really like this. This is fun. And he <laughs> and he got involved immediately. I'm not saying he got involved later. I'm just saying he got involved. Was it a product of us? I, 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 yeah, I just, I, I'll, I'll go back and forth on that. Or did God put the seed? And there's probably a great Calvinistic perspective on that because, of course, God put the seed. Uh, of course, yeah. God initiated. And then, and then there's probably another way of viewing it as, as like maybe that's not nearly as necessary. But it's a great question. I don't know, Naima. I love that. That is a curveball. <laughs> I was like, oh, come on, curveball. But that was a curveball. That was good. I like that. I, I st- I'm standing at the plate watching that one go in. Strike two. Uh. Before we jump into the book and hit on the book a, a little bit, one more one more uh, question on the whole idea of Eastern and Western okay. perspectives, which is really like, how did this even happen? Do we just chalk it up to like, oh, translations and translation problems? Is that is it that simple? Um, no, uh, no. It, okay. Although that, that is those things are all relevant, um, but I, I don't think it's that simple. And I'm and I'm and I need to say that first because what I would what what, what I will add will probably also be oversimplified. So it's always super nuanced and complex and everybody's going to argue about how it happened. In my perspective, one of the greatest moments that led to this problem was probably early second century. We we can all debate exactly when it took place, but somewhere early second century when there is a great schism between Judaism and, and the Gentile church and we kind of push ourselves away and, and we and whether it's because we're trying not to associate with the Bar Kokhba revolt or whether it's because we're trying to avoid avoid persecution, which seems to be aimed squarely at the Jews. And so Gentiles are trying to be like, well, I don't want to do that after the Jews have just pulled us in to protect us and avoid persecution in the last century. That's yeah. my own personal perspective. But but when we do. No matter how it happened, it happened historically, not, comp- not not completely, comprehensively. Like we we found all kinds of fun little pieces of evidence, but generally speaking, mm-hmm. it happened. And what happened when that happened was we could lean. We didn't have the Jewish. We didn't have the text memorized. There was no printing press. Right. We didn't have the Bible in us like the Jews had. We didn't have a Jewish heritage to lean on. We didn't have the Jewish community. We, we had been, Paul says, we're grafted into the trunk of a very cultivated Jewish tree, but we then yeah. detached ourselves from that Jewish tree and that's nourishing sap to use Paul's language. So, mm-hmm. so then when that happens, we attach ourselves to Gnosticism for better or for worse. And we also denounce mm-hmm. a lot of Gnosticism. Like you read the early church fathers, they're all anti, they're, they're all anti-Gnostic in a lot of ways, but we are as Westerners. Western Gentiles are philosophical, they're mm-hmm. Western, they're Gnostic, and that becomes the foundation of our theology. So we start mm-hmm. asking a whole different set of questions than yeah. the ones we had been asking. And from there, it's just kind of a problem that kind of keeps compounding itself. And then it corrects itself. And we have these beautiful chapters of the Reformation and whatever, but we never we never totally correct the problem. We just kind of keep making corrections to a slightly misguided conversation, not completely misguided, just a slightly sure. anemic, incomplete, however you want, however you 
best feel about whatever words you want to use, but that's yeah. where it starts and it, it never, it never really turns back around. It almost seems like it's one of those where if you, you know, you got two parallel lines and one just starts to get the tiniest bit off course. And so nobody notices and nobody recognizes. And then after years and years, it's just like, yeah, we've made this big major turn. Yeah, no, I totally agree. All right. Well, in your book, Asking Better Questions of the Bible, um, which we will link up and highly recommend people read. But I want to know, Marty, what is a misconception that people have when they're reading scripture? Like, is there one main one? Oh, the easy one. It's not the one that I think inspires me the most. Um, but the the easy one that comes to mind immediately on the spot is is the prophets. That prophets are here to talk about the future and tell us that there's something coming and there's all these messianic prophecies when the prophets were really a, uh, a provocateur, a, a provocateur of the imagination. Like they were, that's, I stole that phrase from Shane Claiborne, but they were, they're really trying to provoke the imagination in the present day to invite God's people to live the way that they're mm -hmm. supposed to live. And that's why Jesus fulfills it. They're not, they're not putting a bunch of blanks out there saying, just wait, because someday somebody's going to come fill in all these blanks. They're saying, this is what God wants all of us to do. Will you please live this way? And then Jesus does live that way. And uh -huh. now all of a sudden, that's the fulfillment of scripture. We kind of, we kind of treat scripture as if it's like a video game. Like there was all these levels that needed to be beat and Jesus came and finally beat the video game. So now we don't have to mm -hmm. do it. Yeah. Um, but the scripture isn't that way. It's, it's Jesus coming to say, let me show you how to live the way that God always wanted you to live from Moses to Isaiah, you know, through David, like this is what God always wanted from his people. I'm going to show you in the flesh. And that's what it means in the Jewish mind to fulfill scripture. And so prophets are one of those places where, uh, and it's so hard. Brett and I right now are in the middle of an Isaiah series. And we recorded an episode mm -hmm. yesterday that won't be released for a few more weeks, but it was like we, Brent opened this, opened the episode by talking about it is so hard to hear some of these passages because these these passages are are so we're so used to them we can't hear these without thinking Jesus or thinking right. or right. whatever yeah. and we have a hard time hearing Isaiah for what Isaiah was doing for his audience so yeah mm. So as people are reading, whether it's prophets, I think you just blew a lot of people's minds with that. That's a, a whole idea. People can go back and, and learn whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, whatever it is. If people are going, okay, I need to unlearn some things and I want to reread scripture in a way that, you know, I let, I trust the story. I let God tell the story. I don't want to come into it, quote unquote, yeah. knowing, you know, exactly what it means what is something that you would want to reframe or you would want people to know about scripture as they're trying to read it anew for the first time? That is a really well-framed question. Um, <laughs> yeah, that that's almost as good of a curveball as Naeem's question a moment ago. <laughs> I like how you've, how you framed that. One of the, one of the things that I would, I, I would, uh, let me let me do this. I'll do I'll do this. I'll do these two things. I would say number one, realize that this the Bible has it's like a library with different um, there's like different Book. sections. There are different yeah. genres, and so I need to know what part of the library I'm in, which is the heart of the book. Like every chapter is a different section of the Bible because every if I'm in this section, Torah, the Book of Deuteronomy is not the same as Second Samuel. 
Those are different genres of literature. Not wildly, yeah. but different enough that I would ask a different set of questions. I would need to be aware of that in the same way that if I were reading Shakespeare versus the Washington Post. Those are different mm -hmm. pieces of literature, both useful Context, in a different yeah. way, mm -hmm. but different. Um, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, is different than the prophet Amos. Revelation is something very unique. You don't just open the Bible <laughs> and read. So having a, an initial awareness that the Bible is a library and it has all kinds of different sections and knowing what section I'm standing in when I'm engaging it is yeah, super, good. super helpful. Even within, yeah. a, even within a teaching, even within a sermon, as we're quoting a prophet and then grabbing a gospel, and then to even be able to make that quick mental shift of, okay, 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 that, that's super helpful. And the other thing I kept trying to say throughout the book, and this wasn't necessarily planned, but as I wrote it, I just kept trying to say, guys, if we don't realize that the whole point of this is not so that we can know things, but so that we can be a different person. Yeah. They're not trying to tell me that Jonah got swallowed by a fish so that we know that like, and we all want to argue about, well, did that happen or not happen? Did it happen or not happen? <laughs> is that real? That is not why the book of Jonah is written. The book of Jonah is trying to provoke us yeah, into right. deep thinking about how we feel towards God's grace and our enemies. Right. right. And exactly. yet right. we miss all of those conversations when we focus on historicity all those, all the, those are all the wrong questions that make us miss the ones that God's like, yeah, but are mm, you different yeah. when you got done reading it? You might be right, but are you changed? Um, so that's the oh, thing yeah. that I want to reinforce. Mm, that's so good. Yeah, that, that my follow up to that my curveball question would be like, what is the point of the Bible? Like, what are we trying to do here? You know, just learn more about ourselves, God, or, or or justify certain things? Or are we trying to figure out, like, if God's using the scriptures, what is he saying? Yes. About himself, about us, about our purpose. Yep. About what we're, why, why we were created, how we were created. Yep. You know? And that is that is the follow-up pitch to your curveball, only this time I'm going to hit it. Um, okay, <laughs> let's go. So, so, yeah, because it no matter who wrote it, so that initial curveball question was like, well, did God, did God initiate this or did his people initiate this? Either way, but, but, but even, if the, even if God's people initiated this storytelling, the beauty of this, like, why, did, why would they have done that? Because what they're engaging in is this transformative mystery that is something has to be said and yet nothing is, nothing will say it enough. Mm -hmm. Like this Bible is this ongoing conversation because we're all finite people and finite authors engaging in this infinite mystery, this infinite experience, and we're writing it down and God's helping us. And it's inspired and it's authoritative. But we're telling this story because God is doing something in the world. He is putting mm -hmm. the world back together. He is looking for partners. And so yeah. I was just doing some research for my next writing project, and I was reading the book Curious by Ian Leslie. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's all a book about curiosity. And one of the things that he talks about a few different times in the book is the difference between puzzles and mysteries. And he says, we like puzzles because they can be solved. But uh, puzzles yeah. are not true curiosity. Mystery is where all of the energy is for the things. And we hate, we hate thinking the Bible's a mystery. We hate yes. thinking God is a mystery. Because it causes anxiety, right, for some oh, of us. We have to be able to solve this. I have to be able to possess. 
But it's the unknowing. The, yeah. The post-conventional wisdom, like the wisdom that God, wisdom itself, wisdom with a capital W, wisdom as a she, as the Proverbs put it, is inviting mm-hmm. us to realize like the real wisdom is recognizing that this thing that you have a relationship with, this thing that you are in love with is bigger than you could ever. Mm-hmm. You'll never be able to contain right. it. And that's what makes it. That's what makes him God. Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so mm-hmm. that's the, that's the mystery versus the puzzle. Yeah. That's so good. Uh, the puzzle versus the, what did you say? The puzzle versus the mystery, mystery, the mystery. Yeah. The mystery. Yeah. I was thinking, I was looking for a different word, yeah. you know, words are hard. Sometimes. See, that's why I think you like those, uh, what are those things? Escape rooms. Oh, I love an escape room. Yeah. Oh my God. Because I can solve it. Exactly. That's exactly to Marie's yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, Absolutely. I feel yep. better about myself. Yep. But the mystery has no end, has no solution. Yeah, right. It just keeps pulling you deeper and deeper into truth, capital T truth. We, we yeah. don't like yeah. mystery because we think it's not true because we right. want to be right. the sole possessors of truth. Right. Yeah. I remember when we did uh, Reimagine God yeah. mm-hmm. as a series. Mm-hmm. And man, it was so interesting. The, a certain demographics, like the younger, our younger crowd were like, Oh they my gosh, it. I love yeah. this. Yeah. And the older crowd was like n- how nervous. D- how dare you? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, I had one lady who was like, why do I need to reimagine God? I know exactly who God is. Yep. I'm like, you do? Because I don't. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. please tell me. I yep. mean, I thought he was bigger. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> like, Yep. Yeah. Anytime well, you've, you've understood God, you need to, this is a Peter Rollins idea. You need to chuck it in the garbage because you just made an idol. It's too small. Mm. Yeah, that's great. So it's always going to be bigger. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Well, as we start to wrap up, Marty, we did ask people on Instagram, we put a question box up and wanted to know if anybody had questions for you. And the first one is not so much a question. Everybody loves the beard. Oh, yeah. Like, they just love the beard. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Look at this thing. Who wouldn't? <laughs> So you're doing whatever beard maintenance you've got going on. It's working for you yeah. because people are loving it. Yeah. Yeah. No. But another question that we got was you are seen with in all your photos on Instagram with tassels oh, yeah. or things hanging from your belt loop. <laughs> yep. People want to know what those are. Yeah. So those are as a Jewish follower of Jesus. Uh, those are my, my, my zitziot, or you could call it a tallit. The tallit is the garment itself. The zitziot would be the tassels. So okay. you'll see, you'll see observant Jews, Orthodox Jews. Um, they'll, they'll be wearing little tassels. Sometimes they're a lot harder to see traditional and Orthodox do it all. They all do it differently. Sometimes they'll kind of be tucked back by the pocket, but you'll see these tassels hanging out by the belt. And so a lot of people have seen a prayer shawl. A lot of people know what a prayer shawl is. Uh, yep. basically the modern version of that is, a you just cut a hole in it and wear it like a sandwich board and put your shirt over the top of it. So oh. that's the, that's what you're wearing oh. underneath the shirt. It's just an undergarment. And it always causes fun conversations with the TSA agent when they've never encountered a Jew before. <laughs> so you, so you do that. Uh huh. Yes. So I'm Torah observant, and you get there in, in session four eventually. Um, if you listen to the podcast, I'll do the whole explanation of new perspective on Paul, Jews and Gentiles in the New Testament, all that stuff. But I, I eat kosher, I wear tassels. It's super messy and complicated because if I was Judaism today does Jewish lineage differently than the Judaism of Jesus's day or the Judaism yeah. of the ancient scriptures. And so how, how do you, if I would have known how messy it was, who knows if I would have done something different, but I didn't. And I was just trying to live as consistently to the scriptures as I understood, as I learned this stuff. And yeah. so my family reclaimed that Jewish identity and heritage 
um, no, that's great. Uh, that I have paternally, which again, modern Judaism would say it's maternal. So it's really complicated. And I don't, yeah. I don't try to deny that at all, but that's what, that's what you're seeing. You're seeing that Jewish to leap. Uh, when I leave the okay. house, I'll have kippah on. You'll see me. A lot of people call it yarmulke. That's actually Yiddish, but kippah is the head covering. And yep. Ah. Yep. Okay. That's actually, that's Allison. I could go ask you on a whole I know. Jewish Yiddish. I'm like, isn't yeah. that the language of the Jewish people? Uh, probably not. Yeah. Yiddish, Yiddish is a medieval um, uh, European. Uh, Jew, Jews realized during um, the medieval period, the classical period, as they were going through all the different pogroms and everything else, that if we don't do something to preserve our identity, we're going to lose our Jewish identity. Uh-huh. And so they made a European dialect kind of a... Uh, Hebrew expression, kind of a mixture of Hebrew and German and all kinds of different European, and that's what Yiddish is. So, okay. um, and a lot of families that descended from Europe or migrated over, well, not many people have preserved Yiddish, but Yiddish is still spoken in some of those families. So, mm. yeah. Oh, well, you enlightened me. Thank there you. you go. All right. The last question that we have for you is because the podcast is called Becoming Church, what is something that our listeners can do to be the church to the people around them? Um, so, so one of the things, one of the most common themes of New Testament theology is the church, the people of God as the new temple of God, Mm. that it's where God dwells. And so, Mm. um, one of my favorite teachings is whatever you understood about what the temple was and how the temple functioned. One of my favorite teachings in session one, when it talks about the grand opening of the temple in Leviticus and then the grand opening of the temple in, in, uh, in Chronicles and the temple gets opened and the people always fall down on their face in joy and they worship, um, because the goodness of God and the love of God, that's what happens when the temple is opened. So one of my favorite teachings that I stole from Ray is so, so when people meet you as a new temple of God, because mm-hmm. God changed addresses and he now lives with you, what should be what should be their expression? What should be their response? They should fall down on their face and they should shout with joy. The Lord is good. His faithful love endures forever. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that's how the world is seeing, experiencing or responding to the church today, which I think means we have some work to do generally as the people of God, that we would be wow. more hospitable, more loving, mm-hmm. more affirming, more instead of condemning, instead of you didn't come to the temple and you know, want to, want to, want to leave. You came to the temple and right. worshiped in joy because of God's right. love. So right. whatever we can do to put God's love on display, to put God's presence mm-hmm. on display, that would evoke that kind of a response. That's what my, that's what my thought would be. Oh, that's beautiful, Marty. Yeah, that's so good. Well, thank you so much. We could keep going, man. I know. Oh. We are going to let Marty get back to that YouTube series because I want to see it pretty much. I want to I let him finish so I can go watch it. Yeah. <laughs> but thank you so much for being here. We'll link up the book and the Bama podcast and okay. all kinds of things in the show notes for our listeners. But we really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thanks for letting me be here. It was fun. I know that was a lot to take in, but also Marty has listed up additional resources in every chapter of his book. So if there's anything you want to deep dive on, scroll below and we've got all kinds of links for you. I hope God will continue to reveal things to you through what you heard in this conversation today. And when he does, I want to know about it. 
How do you say? Through our brand new website. That's right. We love when you connect with us on social media, but you can also find us now at becomingchurch.tv where you can send us feedback, ideas on guest interviews you want to hear, or catch up on past episodes you may have missed. Listen, we'll be glad to keep you company as you travel this holiday season or be your escape if you need a break from the excitement overload of your household. As always, thank you for listening and keep becoming church to the people around you.